Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning, Bethesda. Julie and I welcome you into our home. Uh, We're grateful to have other homes partnered with us this morning. It is a different morning, but we have several homes connected. Uh, The Susan's home where our worship originated and where uh, Mr. Rob Susan is keeping in touch with our kids. And uh, the Allen's homes where uh, we were led in prayer from our care pastor, Barry, and soon to be commissioned minister, Noah. It is a great reminder that the soul of the church is people, not a building. Yet we look forward to the day when we can be reunited under one roof to sing praises to God together and pray. And that day is coming soon. Until then, we have this, what I call, temporary abnormal. We're together online. Our world has been turned upside down. I read on Wednesday that more than 3 billion people around the world were living under stay-in orders. That's about 40% of the Earth's population, and it was about 50% of the U.S. population. They have these orders to shelter in place, and it's not an exaggeration to say, our world has been turned upside down. And the question comes up, as it does in times of calamity, is God in this? Did God do this? Why doesn't God stop this? Questions as old as time. Job, the man of sorrows, who lost family and fortune, and he lost his health, and he wrestled then with these very questions, and he came to this conclusion. Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What we might learn from Job is that God allows affliction for his divine purpose. Another example of affliction and purpose comes from the life of a man named Jonah. Jonah, if you know the account, ran from God. He had himself cast into the sea where a great fish swallowed him whole. But God spared the man's life and the fish spit Jonah out on dry ground. After that, Jonah was thinking much more clearly. And he then thought, well, I shouldn't run from God, but rather I should be obedient. So Jonah was obedient. Jonah did the bidding of God and he preached destruction against the city of Nineveh. Then Jonah made himself a little hut in the sun, and he sat down to enjoy watching the destruction of the city. But the city had repented, and God had relented. Now this turn of events troubled Jonah. He would have liked to have witnessed the destruction of Nineveh, a city of pagans, but it was not to be. And by this time, Jonah was getting uncomfortably hot in his little hut. I share with you from Jonah chapter 4 what happened next. This is Jonah 4 verses 6 through 8. 
Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. A plant, a worm, the wind. A scientist would tell us all about the laws of nature and provide us with facts when it comes to these things. The scientist would teach us all about a seed in the ground, the germination and growth process, and how a leafy plant could spring up. And then the life of a a caterpillar, a type of worm. It needs food. And so choose the life ring of a plant. The caterpillar grows strong, but his meal has caused the plant to wither and fail. Then we might get a lecture on upper atmospheric jet streams, the hemispheres of the earth, all affecting wind directions and temperatures. Yeah, science provides for us facts and laws, the certainty of the cause and the sureness of the effect. And what we have is an abundance of knowledge. And unless that knowledge of laws and all the storehouses of supporting facts that provide the working of those laws, unless that reflects back to us like a mirror, the image of God, then all we have is an abundance of knowledge. How is it that Job could utter these words? Now my eyes have seen you, God. It was after the voice of God thundered and told Job that from the littlest creature to to the movement of the constellations in the sky, I'm behind it. And then Job saw God's image reflected in all of nature. So too, the passage from Jonah teaches us very clearly, God is in it all. God was behind the blessing for Jonah. God provided the plant to give Jonah shade and comfort. And God was behind the affliction. For God provided a worm which chewed the plant. And God provided a scorching east wind, and Jonah got roasted. The worm that came to choose Jonah's plant was created by God to destroy that plant. And the law of that worm's movement was ordained for that very destruction. It is the Father's heart and purpose and plan which directs every movement, even the crawling of a worm. God provided a plant. God provided a worm. God provided a wind. No accident brought the plant there. It wasn't a coincidence that the worm showed up. The wind just didn't happen. God provided the plant through nature to comfort Jonah. God sent the worm and the wind through nature to affect Jonah. As far as the blessing goes, God's hands behind it, We easily receive that. But it troubles us to think. Our mind doesn't want to comprehend that God was equally behind the affliction. But the word of God bears out that God is behind the prosperity and adversity 
that his creation experiences. If that weren't true, then what's our conclusion? There's certain powers in God's universe that aren't subject to his control. And if that were the case, God would not be God, would he? But God provided the worm, God provided the wind, and in some instances, God may send affliction, as it was in the case of Job, by permitting Satan to afflict. But God is still behind the affliction. He could prevent it, but he permits it. When Satan wished to afflict Job, he sought and he gained God's permission. Job's misery was due to Satan's hammering, which was permitted by God. God directed nature and Jonah was troubled. Whether a worm or a plague, God is in it. God is in it, God is behind it for a divine purpose. Through Job's sorrow, he learned a lesson about pride and presumption And when he repented before God, Job was rewarded. The city of Nineveh heard from Jonah that calamity was coming. The whole city fasted from food and drink. They humbled themselves in dust and ashes. They repented of their evil. They urgently called on God. And they received mercy. And God directed a plant to bless Jonah. And a worm and a wind to afflict him, and to teach him about compassion and mercy. We also heard from Pastor Julie on Wednesday evening about Jesus' disciples paralyzed with fear in the middle of a storm. Yet Jesus was with them the whole time. And through the storm, the disciples' knowledge of Jesus and their faith in their relationship with Jesus was deepened and strengthened. And Jesus calmed the storm. Whether we have a a worm in our life, a storm, or a plague, God is in it. Now, we're living through, right now, a global plague. And there is no doubt God has allowed it. And God has the power to halt it. As we live through it, instead of asking, is God in this? Did God do this? Why doesn't God stop this? Let's ask instead, why has God allowed such an interruption in our lives? What does he want us to learn through this? Let's look inside ourselves and endeavor to discern the Lord's purpose for us. Are we like Job, proud and presumptuous? Are we like the Ninevites, self-reliant, overindulgent, filled with idols in our lives? Are we like Jonah, rebellious and angry with God? Are we like a frightened disciple, fearful in the storm, when Jesus is right here with us? Perhaps we're a little of each. God has allowed through nature a global interruption. Have you considered he's trying to get your attention? Where's your heart when it comes to this question We have some great words of Jesus to consider regarding this question. Where is our heart? And they're in our prayer guide this week. I share with you from Matthew chapter 6. This is verses 19 to 21. In our prayer guide this week, it's about giving. But these verses, they're 
that there's more of a broad application in our life, especially, especially in a time like we're living through right now. So this is Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our daily routines have been upended. The economy has been rocked. For many, work has stopped. Businesses are closed. Outlets for leisure and entertainment have come to a standstill. Little luxuries we've taken for granted, like eating a meal out, are off limits. Has our heart been too focused on what's here? Are we preoccupied with the things we treasure in this life? For Job, it was his children. For the Ninevites, their riches. For Jonah, his ego. The disciples, their lives on this earth. Where is your treasure? Is it anchored in this world or are you living for heaven? This storm, this plague, this pandemic, whatever you wish to call it, it's not without a purpose ordained by Almighty God. Our afflictions are out of God's love. For Jonah, it was not to punish him that God provided a worm and a scorching wind. God is long-suffering, and he withholds punishment in his desire that all might come to repentance. God's aim in affliction is our restoration, our improvement. By adversity, God breaks our dependency on the things of the world. By adversity, God reminds us our source and our strength and our joy comes only through Jesus Christ. By adversity, he teaches us to grow in grace and to aspire to deeper faith in Jesus. By adversity, God searches and reveals our heart. Such an experience for God's people is not a result of God's anger, but of God's love, for he disciplines those he loves. However harsh it may seem to us, there is a Father's heart behind it. It's not meant to drive us away, but to draw us closer. The same love that allows the trouble receives the troubled. God provides worms. God provides wind. He uses what he provides to build up faith and holiness in the human heart. Let's not question God's heart. Let's not ask if he's in this. But let each of us ask, where's our treasure? Where is our heart this morning? Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, if we are focused on the things of this earth, if we've been rocked because what's been taken away has uh, put us in a place of fear and uncertainty or in a place where we just don't know what to do. God, I pray through this time, whether we call it a, a plague, a pandemic, a storm, whatever we call it in our own life, God, I pray that through this time, you would use it to draw all of us closer to you. If there's things that we need to repent of, that we would repent. And God, we would see that our treasure should be pointed toward heaven. God, I just pray for 
everyone within my listening voice. Lord, all those who are uh, out beyond uh, this, this space where I am, so many who are listening, God, bless them, touch them by the power of your Holy Spirit, encourage them, lift them, be the rock beneath them, and help all of us, God, turn our hearts closer to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We know, God, he's right here with us. He can calm the storm, but he's drawing us. He wants us deeper in him. He wants us to know him richer. So God, use this time, this time where we have much more of it to be closer to you and closer to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that for everyone, everyone in Bethesda Christian Church and everyone listening right now in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.